and I'd have a new song and I'd teach it. And I mean, I tell you, the atmosphere, and it, it wasn't a, the song was facilitating it, but it wasn't like, oh, well, this is an amazing new song. It was people were worshiping and it no longer mattered who was leading worship or who wrote the song or anything. It was just standing there and people were singing their hearts out. And you'd think, oh my goodness, I was sitting in my room, you know, a few months ago writing that song. And now it's being sung like this. And it, yeah, absolutely awesome. Absolutely awesome. You are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast, part of the new release today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week, I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. As a regular listener to this podcast, I'm sure you've picked up on the fact that music plays an important role in my life. Ever since I heard Russ Taff with the Imperial sing, I'm Forgiven, I knew that this music was a language that would help express my walk with Christ. I found Christian music about a decade after the Jesus music started, but I'm grateful for the pioneers who are willing to use the music of the day to express their faith walk with Jesus. Flash forward to the late 1990s, my concert promotion business had taken some pretty big financial hits, and I was forced to close my active involvement in the Christian music industry. That was when I started the Christian Music Archive website. It was my way of keeping involved in music without losing my shirt when concert attendance was lower than the bills I had. So you can imagine that when the Jesus Music film came out last year, I was pretty excited. Here was another opportunity to dig into the beginnings of the music I loved and to share with the world the history behind the music we love today. One of the things that impressed me about the Jesus movement in the late 60s is that it was not an isolated incident on the west coast of the United States. There were folks in New Zealand and in England who, while around the same time, were starting to use popular music to express their beliefs. And today, I'm talking with one of those early pioneers of the British gospel beat music. That's the equivalent to the U.S.'s Jesus movement. Graham Kendrick was part of that initial batch of musicians that were using music to express their faith, and he's gone on to be one of the most prolific worship writers of the past 50 years. Not only is Graham Kendrick's take on Jesus' music in the early 60s interesting and intriguing, we talk about the Psalms and the importance that they play in our worship today. Graham is passionate about teaching people how to be worshipers, not just singers. And I found his thoughts around praying the Psalms very interesting and helpful. Before we hear today's conversation, I want to take a couple of minutes to tell you about another great program run by Mercy Inc. Bridge to Reading is a program run in 12 Central African countries, as well as the country of Colombia in South America. This program teaches adults how to read and write in their own language, which has a number of benefits. Just think what advantages come economically to people who can read and write business transactions. And in many of these countries, women are marginalized after they pass through their childbearing years, so being able to read and write offers them dignity in the home. Or my favorite story is of pastors who are teaching the gospel but can't read it, so they have their children read the Bible to them. Just think what it would be like for these pastors to be able to read God's Word on their own. If you want to find out more about the work Mercy Inc. is doing through Bridge to Reading, head over to christianmusicarchive.com mercy. There, you can read about our partnership with Mercy Inc., as well as see how you can get involved and further the work of teaching adults how to read around the world. That's christianmusicarchive.com mercy. And thanks for your willingness to help. My guest today has been writing music since the early 1970s, and I'll bet that many of you have sung some of his songs in your church, songs like Shine Jesus Shine or Knowing You, 
Graham has released more than 40 albums in the past 50 years, and I did a quick check and counted more than 600 songs that he's written. All the way from the United Kingdom, we're welcoming worship leader, songwriter, teacher, Graham Kendrick. Welcome, Graham. Well, hi, Dave. It's so good to be with you. It's fun to be able to connect across the pond, so to speak, through technology. It's it's very strange. <laughs> Strangely normal, actually, these days, isn't it? If you can put those words together. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. With COVID, I think all of my, my business meetings have gone into online communications like this. So you're right. Normal yeah, is the yeah. what it is. Well, I... Uh, I can't tell you how excited I was when we got this conversation booked, because like I said, we've been singing your songs for a long time, and you're one of the preeminent songsmiths of our modern hymn area, and uh, so it's just an honor to be able to chat with you and appreciate your fitting us into your schedule. Thank you very much. Well, I'd really like to start by looking kind of at the beginning of, of your career. I mean, you really started doing music about the same time here in the States, the Jesus movement was moving. And so I'd love to hear kind of how you got started and maybe how that corresponded with what we were doing here in the States. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, so I was a teenager in, in the 60s, and um, there was a obviously the big cultural revolution of the 60s, mm-hmm. you know, then yeah. suddenly this big divide, the generational gap widened, you know, yeah. cultures, clash of cultures, you know, and... Um, I was listening to all the contempt, you know, the latest music on the radio, the the hit songs, and you know, primarily at that time, it was the Beatles, of you course, know, that yeah. really captured my imagination. Uh, but funny enough, you actually had to listen to that on, on what they call pirate radio stations. Oh, yeah, because the um, the BBC kind of ruled everything. There was like you know BBC uh-huh. Radio, yeah, and. Uh, they were they were very conservative and very you know so a lot of this new music ended up uh, somebody would would rent a, a ship out in the english channel no kidding and, and they would get a big transmitter and they would transmit to the uk and it was kind of legal that made it legal <laughs> and um so we had our uh, the transistor little transistor radios became available and so you plug your earpiece in and, and uh, listen uh, un- under the bedclothes after your parents <laughs> thought you'd gone to sleep. Yeah. So, yeah, but that's how we accessed the, um, the music of that day. It wasn't even very much television. Um, but um, church was how it had been for goodness knows how long, you know, very yeah. um, straightforward and hym- hymns and sermons. And uh, so my father was a, a Baptist pastor. Um, but in the kind of circuit of Baptist churches that I was a, a part of, that we connected with, because I, I'd, we'd moved to London, my father took on a church in, okay. uh, in, in uh, West London at that time. Um, because of this uh, culture gap, and because young people were dropping out of church yeah. in big numbers, because it was it suddenly became very uncool, and um, a lot of folks who were somewhat older than us, maybe. Ten years older than myself, my uh, would started to form bands, music bands. It could okay. be a folk folk music band. It could be a kind of rock or a Beatles type band. And uh, churches would start to uh, set up their own little coffee house um, in their back hall or, or whatever, or hire somewhere. Um, and the idea was, you know, the band would be the attraction. Yeah. Um, get kids in off the streets. Um, it wasn't much to do. I mean, this was the sixties. Everything was in black and white, and the, <laughs> <laughs> um, very little TV. Lots of kids, you know, just hanging around the street corners. So if there was a band, a live band, you know, people would come. Yeah. Um, so not massive crowds, but so they come in and you serve coffee and the band will play a few songs and then a preacher would stand up and give a five minute, 10 minute kind of gospel yeah. presentation. Um, we'd sit around the tables and, and chat. And that, that was great for me. Um, uh, so we basically copied that model okay. and decided we're going to form our bands. And because you had to have your own music, really, because it was kind of message music, but every every band had their own style. 
So people started writing their own songs because, well, you realize you could because of Lennon and McCartney. You know, yeah, they, they, sure. they proved that you, you didn't have to belong to Tim Pan Alley or have a music <laughs> degree to write songs. You yeah. could just, hey, yeah, I can write. So, so I discovered I had a talent for writing songs. Okay. Um, and so I became the sort of main songwriter in that little band. And we'd be out maybe on a Saturday night or um, uh, traveling just you know in our in our in the london area okay uh, and we got to play and that was where i kind of cut my teeth in in performing and uh, and, and particularly songwriting yeah and it was all message music really well was it like uh, i've talked to several people here in the states at that time they were going i've got to make this music and i, I didn't realize that there were other people doing it but as they traveled around the country, oh, this guy's doing contemporary music of our day, or this group is doing that mm, same kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, because it was kind of this burgeoning, burgeoning thing here. Was it the same in in Britain? I think it was. Um, uh, yeah, it sprang up around around the place, um, and uh, and then I think fairly early on, some guys in London, uh, and I'm sure there are others in other parts of the country, but they began to organize. Okay. They, they were in bands. And uh, they uh, they had the initiative to say, okay, let's let's start a little broadsheet news newsletter, and tell everyone else what we're doing and where we're going, and that actually be- eventually became a magazine. And then they started having workshops, and then they started doing uh, uh, tours, um, and you know, formed a record company. And this was all totally new. Yeah, you know, yeah, that stuff didn't didn't really happen. Right. Um, uh, in, in the UK, but it it started to, and everyone was just learning by trial and error. Uh, There's quite an exciting time. Actually, it wasn't just music; it was it was uh, various, you know, of the arts again began to have some prominence. I think we our generation started to wake up to the fact that the the church of our parents' generation had kind of regarded secular media as secular or mm-hmm. media let's yeah. say regarded um tv and radio as a, an entertainment world uh, and professional performers or actors or musicians artists uh, as a kind of very worldly thing okay and uh, we began to wake up to the fact that as a result of that there were very few christians in it yeah you know yeah and some of the early tours that um were organized um that you know, I got uh, eventually part of, to be a part of. Um, there were kind of multimedia presentations, okay. you know. There'd be, there'd, be some, there'd be some music and there'd be uh, a poet, you know, and there'd be some, some dance or a bit of film. And, um, and, it, and it was all to communicate the gospel. But it, right. it, it sounds strange now, but you'd sometimes get uh, pastors, you know, who were there with the, a couple of rows of their young people would just walk out and say, "Come on, we're leaving." This oh wow! Not... Yeah, <laughs> wow. This is yeah. This is too worldly. You know, <laughs> the lights went down, and the you know, and uh, anything like dance. Yeah, although it was very modest dance. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. but uh, um, uh, yeah. So it it was. I didn't realize myself at the time because I was just a teenager and, and I was loving it all. How controversial some of this was for mm. for people yeah um but we were certainly um whether we knew it or not you know we were breaking new ground um and so that was the environment you know which i initially um sort of grew up in um so you were working alongside folks like dave pope and garth hewitt and adrian snell and some of these folks well, there you go. You've done your research, haven't you? <laughs> well, I've interviewed a couple of Good these man. folks. Yeah, uh, that's excellent. Yeah, yeah. Those was we were some of the first people to um, uh, venture out full time. You know. Yeah. Um, I think Dave Pope was probably the first, and um, uh, the idea that I mean, it was a great romance with this. I mean, this was the sixties <laughs> when people were. Um, you know, going on the road, the kind of wandering troubadour. Uh, there was an amazing romance with all of that, uh, uh, and um, 
and we kind of we we love that so the idea that you could actually do that yeah so i, I actually went trained to be a school teacher oh. um so when i was about 19 i went off to college uh, for th uh, to do a three-year course okay and i was going to be a, a school teacher and that signaled the little band i was in with my brother and sister and and some friends at church uh, br it broke up because that happens doesn't it Everyone right. goes, people go off to college right. and, and so on but um so i traded in my electric guitar for an acoustic guitar <laughs> and kind of went that sort of contemporary uh, folk mm -hmm. um which again was really boom, it was just taking off at that time. Yeah. It was really quite massive. Of course, Simon and Garfunkel had sort of led the way, but there was a whole uh, UK scene as well. Yeah. Um, Cat Stevens was one of the guys who sort of came out of that and became world famous. And but there were many, uh, there were many folks. And uh, so I aspired to that, I think partly because I didn't have a band anymore and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had no one to sing my song. So if I didn't, <laughs> nobody would. Um, and I actually, I, I, I was very nervous about singing. I hadn't, I hadn't been uh, the main singer in the band okay. I was in. Uh, I just sang some harmonies. I hadn't really found my voice. So it took me a long time, but, you know, just by necessity um i started to write these um and I, what i started to write was um uh and it's it, it, it was long before i wrote what we now call praise and worship songs sure, but yeah. these were mainly kind of narrative storytelling songs mm -hmm. um which and there was a lot of that in you know in in the broader culture you know so many of the songs that your singer songwriters were singing you know were telling stories the beatles were often telling they were little cameo um, stories in their yeah. songs. Um, and I think because I've been brought up on the Bible stories, uh, I was drawn to turning those stories into songs, you know? Yeah. And I remember there's one guy who was, he wasn't a musician. He was um, a, a, a kind of, he was a preacher, evangelist, communicator. And um, I remember hearing him on several occasions uh, and he'd just have you rocking in the rolling in the aisles with. He would just take a Bible story and retell it with such humor. Uh, he'd kind of brought it alive, and I guess I kind of followed that cue. Not you know, not with the humor right. side, but <laughs> right. but with the thing of thinking, yeah, I could take that character, one of Jesus' disciples, um, Simon Peter, for example, and um, so I was making up songs that I would sing uh, in the college folk club or whatever little sort of whatever hearing I could get initially at the college. Um, and uh, it kind of worked, you know, uh, such that by the time I uh, finished my course and qualified, I had just about enough songs to think, right, uh, why don't I just, because I was getting a few invitations, I'd, I've made a, an album, this, you know, new Christian record company that had been formed, um, was that invited foot, me to make an album. Was that Footsteps on the Sea? That was, yeah, yeah Footsteps okay. on the Sea. So I, I just went on the road to see what would happen and took a gap year. Effectively, I'm still in the gap year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to... I was going to ask, what did mom and dad say when here you've just finished college to be a teacher, and now I'm going to go out on the road and be a singer? What were they thinking? Well, I, and I told them it was just for a year, you know, <laughs> initially. And I think I probably expected that would be the case. Although in my heart of hearts, I did, you know, I just, this is what I wanted to do. Okay. I wanted to write songs and go and sing them. Um, but uh, yeah, just. Just by doing it, it it sort of, uh, and and that 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 time, there was a little uh, scene, kind of contemporary Christian music scene, was growing in yeah. the UK, and we were getting folks over from America and so on. Um, so the, it was part of a wave, you know. I didn't you didn't realize it at the time, but you know, I was right at the beginning of a, a yeah. of a wave of contemporary Christian music. So, do you remember the first time that? somebody told you yeah we're singing your song in our church service do you i mean i would imagine that would have been a bit <laughs> surreal yeah i mean that's 
that was some years later because I, I I spent about twelve years in that singer songwriter uh -huh. role. Okay. Um, but the other thing that was happening parallel with that is that there was a a, a renewal movement in the churches, mm. or even outside the churches. Some was in, some was out. Some started out and went in. Some started in and went out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but you know, people were were starting to experience the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, and I'd meet these people and think, what have you got? You know, mm. this is because I'd grown up and I was genuinely born again. And, you know, I had so much great teaching, but, you know, nothing much happened where you, you, you knew that you'd met with God and, mm. you know, and it yeah. was life changing thing. But this was, and of course, it turned out this was sort of springing up. In different parts of the world, kind of disconnected, except for the Holy Spirit, right? Um, and um, and there were things happening, you know, uh, on the west coast of America, um, um, but in the UK, um, little house churches started to spring up of okay. where people who had had this experience gathered, yeah, uh, and started to explore what would church look like if if we just followed the spirit and you know yeah. took the bible literally uh, what so on. <laughs> well you know not you know what i mean yeah, no, no, you, uh, yeah to, exactly acts of the apostles you kind of thought yeah let's why not today you know um whereas i think the our background for most of us was the kind of cessationalist thing mm. of saying no that ended with the when the last apostle died and yeah. you know you know we've we've got the bible we don't need these experiences you know but anyway it just it i that just drew me i was hungry for something like that and you know so i i had that experience and that changed just like it did for loads of people in that movement it, for me uh the the experience of being filled with the spirit was was of worship being released mm. from the depth of my you know right in my gut it was like from the very depths of me, I wanted to worship God. Um, and I was ill-equipped to do so. I didn't really know what to do with this <laughs> welling up inside me, yeah. you know. Um, I remember sp I spent a couple of weeks, um, uh, it was it was the summer, summer break from uh, college at the time. I was about 21. And so I had, I had time and um, I'd spend hours in my bedroom. I'd just pray or... I'd, get on my face and pray or i'd stand up and raise my hands and pray and even those physical actions were new to me because ah. previously it was just um standing up opening a hymn book singing him and sitting down again yeah. you know yeah all very formalized yeah um so i was exploring that but there was this overflow so when i met in these um in the house groups that i connected with it was a different experience of sung worship yeah uh, and it actually it's worth saying as well it wasn't about the songs and about the word uh, it was about the presence of god yeah and what do you do what do you do in the presence of god well you know you, you wait for god to speak and you 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 sing back your response you know and it became very personal so we're singing it's like love songs yeah you know to god or simple scripture declarations and you spend a long, long time just doing that uh, and expecting to be led by the by the Spirit. And it, and of course, if you play guitar, as I did, play a few chords, um, someone says, oh, do you know this song? You know, here's a guitar. Uh -huh. And you end up accompanying the songs and trying to be the glue right. that holds these meetings together. And that was my earliest experience of worship leading. Okay. But it wasn't formalized. We weren't called worship leader. It was just. It's just what happened. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's yeah. just, you're the, you're the guy who plays a few chords on the guitar, you know, <laughs> yeah. and can hold a tune. So um, you got the job. Um, so it was all very uh, uh, innocent and grassroots. And, and um, the songs were kind of float kind of coming in on the grapevine, if you like. Okay. You know, there'd be songs coming up from New Zealand, scripture in song, right. you know, from uh, Dave and Dale Garrett. Um, there was songs kind of from the, one or two from the Maranatha kind yep. of 
route and there were you know and then people in the uk were writing songs um and i remember because when i did that i would lead other people's songs oh sure yeah so cut a long story short i i joined this ministry traveling missions team okay okay so uh, we'd go and work for churches, uh, doing, going to schools and doing youth missions and whatever we could. We'd stay for two weeks, sometimes longer. And I'd be the singer-songwriter going into a college or something like that. But we also met with the churches. So, and we also worshipped as a team. There's about 10 of us. And it was in that context with the local church and the team that I started to actually write songs, which okay. were for the for the body songs for the body not just for me to perform um although my main task as i say was was message music telling the mm -hmm. stories you know through mm -hmm. songs for example one of my first songs came out of um i suppose the awkwardness of when you when you're in a team with very intense relationships and you're on the road and people have little fallouts and you get oh. tensions in the room <laughs> sure. and you know and then you've got half an hour before the meeting starts and every you know there's this kind of awkward tension in the room yeah. what do you do with it um you know that you it's quenching the spirit you know yeah and i remember in one of those this little phrase um prayer really came came to mind um which i knew you know was a song lyric was jesus stand among us at the meeting of our lives be our sweet agreement at the meeting of our eyes, you know, help us oh. look each other in the eye. Yeah. You know, Jesus, we love you. So we gather here, join our hearts in unity, take away our fear, you know, yeah. and that's what it was. And so I, I can't remember. I don't think I made up exactly on the spot, but probably the next day I had the first verse together and wow. I said, you know, yeah. Hey, listen, this might help us. Why don't we sing this song and perhaps it'll just be a neutral thing that helps us to get through this. And it did. But then, of course, you end up singing that in the local church or someone else hears it and says, oh, what's the chords for that? And, you know, there's no there's no form of publishing. Right. You, know, you, you flash it up on an overhead projector. And I mean, that was the mate. That was the right. <laughs> that was the Internet of its day, really, <laughs> you know, for spreading songs. You're just writing it out of the transparency. Yeah. Yep. 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 But it gave you sort of instant it was like your instant hymn book, you know, because you just slapped that on the overhead projector as long as the bulb didn't go. Um, <laughs> yeah. You you could you had the song up on the screen. You could teach it to everybody, and then people would write down the words, ask you for the chords, and then they'd be using it somewhere else. So that's you know that's how it started with me writing songs. What was the experience when you realized that somebody from overseas? Or from a different country now was singing your song. I mean, well, that must have been an amazing. If uh, I would, yeah. I would imagine some excitement and awe, but also some humility of the fact that something that I have created mm. is being used by God elsewhere. So I'm, I remember some around that time. I can't remember exactly what the chronology was, but someone sh showed me a an album because it, it it was a kind of very early worship album on obviously it was vinyl um from new zealand and it had that jesus stand among us song on it you know i didn't know anything about that they just showed it to me say oh did you know about this I thought, no oh amazing and that you know that, that is because new zealand is a long way away from yeah. anywhere so. <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> Uh, so that yeah, that was exciting. But of course, initially it was in in the circus. We moved in the because these little house church movements began to grow, and then they'd be meeting in hundreds, you yeah. know. Yeah. Or they start having their Bible weeks, uh, their you know their summer camps, and it, it very soon became hundreds, became thousands, and so you know I was part of this small community of songwriters who in different streams. Yeah had all got to know each other um, and using each other's songs, you know? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, very quickly, th those new songs became very core to um, what people were singing all over the country. Yeah, and are all over the world because yes, your songs yeah. are sung. I mean, I, I went to CCLI, which is a 
copyright organization for churches, and you've got a long list of songs on CCLI that churches yes. are using, you know, that are have yeah. all been inspired by the Holy Spirit that are now being used to help people worship around the world. And that's just very, that's very, very cool. It, it, it is amazing. And I think probably the most sort of humbling moments would be at, I mean, there was an event called Spring Harvest, which... Um, the guy who led the team I mentioned, he ended uh -huh. up being one of the founders of that. Okay. Um, and it started off like 3,000 young people. It just, it just grew and grew. I mean, at its peak um, in the 80s, it was like 80,000 people were wow. going, you know. Yeah. Um, but normally you'd have several thousand people in, in the auditorium uh, or in a big, big top. Um, and I'd have a new song and I'd teach it. And I mean, I tell you, the atmosphere... And it, it wasn't a, the song was facilitating it, but it wasn't right. like, oh, well, this is an amazing new song. Yeah. It was people were worshiping and they were lost, you know, as the hymn says, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Yeah. And it no longer mattered who was leading worship or who wrote the song or anything. It was just standing there and people, and I was just part of this great worshiping crowd, yeah. singing their hearts out. Um, and you'd think, oh my goodness, I, 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 you know, I was sitting in my room, you know, a few months ago, writing that song, you yeah. know, and now it's being sung like this, and it, yeah, absolutely awesome, absolutely awesome. What do you think it is? I, I've talked with like Brian Dirksen, who's also prolific as a songwriter, and a couple of these other folks. What is it that has enabled you to tap into? the Holy Spirit's leading in a way that resonates with people from around the world. What do you think that is from? <laughs> oh, dear. I mean, I, I think you, <clears throat> I think I was very blessed with being part of these churches, communities, whether it's a house group or a, a, a church, you know, through mm -hmm. different seasons where, um, you know, it's a movement, yeah. you know, it, it's, and I don't necessarily mean like organizationally, or uh, some of them, some of them were, but right. it was more than that. It's like this: there's a movement of the spirit here which transcends the different sort of uh, labels, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, an organizational and en en entity. And I think there's part of that is that UK has been quite a small place, mm. you know. It's much easier to do to do that than in a, a you know a country like like America, um, but. Um, I think in many ways I was very naturally reflecting these movements. You know, I I wasn't so much writing my songs. I mean, if I was writing my performance songs, my singer-songwriter songs, that was definitely my my take on my perspective on sure. on something. But the praise and worship songs were many ways taking the whether deliberately or intuitively or by osmosis or whatever, soaking up <laughs> yeah. the teachings, um, the emphases, and then out comes a song, you know. And I think everyone was doing, all my contemporaries writing at the time were doing exactly the same thing. Mm. You know, we we were, and perhaps one of the keys, I think, was we were all connected with what you might call apostolic figures who were very much the initiators, the leaders of these movements who were bringing the emphases and uh, were you know le leading the way, yeah. Um, and at different points, you know, I, I would have be working alongside such such people. So you're no longer just writing your songs; you are writing the songs for the body. Uh. You know, you're you're trying to recognize what's happening, but you have this skill to put words, melodies in people's mouths. So we, we what's what's happening to all of us? Yeah. We can actually sing about in one song at one time and that's actually a really powerful thing and I, I think it was it was i think it was a very important thing in every context in which people like myself were writing songs like this because in the uk a lot of these events these we call them bible weeks or festivals of, of, of often with many thousands of, of people people that would come were not just people who were signed up to that movement they would come from all over you know and spring harvest is one event i mentioned and probably the majority of people who came to that 
because Spring Harvest wasn't a church uh, movement. It, it was an event. So people would come from traditional denominations, from Anglicans and Methodists and Pentecostals. And, um, through the songs and through worshipping through the same songs, everybody was entering into the same experience. Yeah. You've got a, thousands of people worshipping God, and they all take the same hon- song home, and they caught the same spirit yeah. you know, and the same message. Because there was like an impartation of the spirit happening through these meetings and through the various ministry, not just the music, but through the preaching and and so on. So the songs, in many ways, uh, carried the the message and the spirit of the of these movements. It was almost as if the song was the postcard that encapsulated the week events, and this was something that I can now take back and I can sing because I may not be able yeah. to recite the sermon completely. But I can sure recite or re-sing this four-minute song that encapsulates what we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, so that was a very special, special time. Uh, and as that kind of, I guess, uh, became like the norm year mm-hmm. after year, events like those were were carrying on. And I also became part of a church in um, in London. Um, and this was like mid eighties. Um, and that kind of coincided with me, uh, focusing entirely on praise and worship, uh, leading and songwriting and, and no longer doing the singer songwriter thing. So I became part of this church in London, which was a very innovative church and they had a very comprehensive kind of vision. They were, they were growing and planting churches. They had a mission, uh, vision, they had a social action vision, uh, and doing all this stuff. Um, and again, I found myself with uh, in that place where I became the main songwriter um, just by default, you mm. know. Yeah. Um, it's because I could, and I think God had sent me there for that time. Um, but the teaching which was coming from the front was, was the... Uh, the core, really, the core message of many of the songs that I that I I wrote. We were kind of singing singing the sermons, um, but I say in a, in a very uh, organic kind of way, you know. Um, it was just happening, um, and of course that gave me a great platform to try out songs as well. <laughs> sure, um, yeah. We, <laughs> um, and I, you know, so I. We had we'd have these weekly um, big kind of celebration events, and you know as as people gathered, I'd be able to try out a song, yeah. you know, see how it went and see if the key was right and see how people related to it. Yeah, and um, and and people got in the habit of giving me their opinions as well, which was <laughs> mostly mostly helpful. <laughs> well, what I'm hearing you say, Graham, is that. Obviously, God gave you a gift to write. I mean, you uh, have a musical bent as well. But what you've done is you said, I'm going to use this to be able to help people encapsulate what's their, what they're learning and what they're being led by the Spirit. And I'm going to help people who don't know how to write songs, like me, um, but have this gift that we can take on and continue using and continue passing. But mm-hmm. that all points to mm-hmm. your obedience to God's gifting and leading in your life, saying, this is something that I need you to be the scribe, the musical scribe, so to speak, uh, to mm-hmm. help pass on what I'm doing in the world through the, the different movements of the day. Yes. I, yeah. I, I think it's it's something like that. And and it's, but if any if anybody thinks that it's kind of, you just get these songs downloaded, you know, <laughs> yeah. verbatim. I mean, that I guess that happens to some people. I wish it happened to me. <laughs> um, but for me, it was always um, this kind of journey um, of grasping the core of a message uh-huh. or, a, uh, you know, something you feel God is doing and a few words or a phrase or two and then, forging a song okay. out of it yeah you know and of course the moments when there's a kind of like a, a a release of um of inspiration but normally particularly to to write s- songs which have a substantial lyric mm-hmm. and maybe you know two three four 
four verses more in towards the hymn like boy i mean that that is a whole lot of work i grew up listening to my father's bible teaching and and he just and he he wasn't a famous bible teacher he's just a regular local church pastor uh, but he had that high value of of scripture mm-hmm. um i remember when i was a kid i used to do something called the scripture exam where you had to basically learn verses of scripture um but you had to get the punctuation right you know obviously in, in that particular version i think it was a revised standard version or something that we were using uh, uh things like that kind of inculcated in me the importance you got to get this right yeah um and then when i was at college um training for teaching uh, i studied english language and literature and, and that gave me tools for critiquing poetry or lyric or you know yeah and that was so timely because i i learned some basic skills in how to how to edit your own lyric and you know how to identify the strengths and weaknesses and i i, I really did put that to work um and in my singer-songwriter songs, I just always loved descriptive lyrics, metaphors, you know, those phrases where there's like layers, you know, there's the obvious meaning, but the more you hear it, the more there's other layers. So that, I think that's what gave birth to some of the more hymn-like okay. songs Yeah, um, that are definitely the crafted lyric. Music has been a very key part of your life, so much so that you have, and I, I think I in, I referenced this in our introduction, you've spent a lot of time with the, what I call the songbook of the Bible of the, in the Psalms. And you've, yeah. you've introduced a concept, at least I first heard of it from you, called Psalm Surfing. Tell uh-huh. us a little bit about what that is and how you're encapsulating the songs of that were in the Old Testament that King David and the other psalmists wrote into yeah. your current present day life. Well, it was almost, almost by accident. It was a, a, a opportunity um, kind of came at the right time in that I was thinking, this is way back about 20 years ago. Okay. And there was a little bit of a phase um, happening in my context in the church I was part of and where I think some of our praise and worship had, had become a little bit predictable. Um, I think some people were just just a bit weary. It had become a bit of a system, a bit of a process, a bit, oh, you see. know, this is what we do. And also we'd become very focused on the people leading, mm. you know. Anyway, in the midst of that atmosphere, um, our church uh, had a, a summer camp. And um, the leaders there, and I would normally be leading worship, and they wanted to have a, a second option for a morning meeting. And they said to me, look, Graham, if, if we, uh, we'd like to give you a room, uh, you know, it takes maybe 60, 70 people or something, and just lead, you know, lead an hour, an hour and a half there. But you can do what you like, you know. Um, and when I thought about that, I was already thinking about the Psalms. I thought, well, why not just sing off the page, okay. you know? Yeah. And of course, this is the context of my home church where I'm known, where people sure. are, you know, people up for doing, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's we'll try anything once, different. yeah. <laughs> um, and um, so I gathered a few musicians who love to improvise. Um, we deliberately faced the wall. Everybody faced the wall. So we were like on the front row facing the wall. Yeah. Because we just wanted to break up this spectator, you know, spectatorism mm, right. kind of yeah. thing that was a bit of a problem for us, we felt. So I had a little sheet of paper explaining to people what they'd come to and what was going to happen. And uh, we also had a couple of people who were uh, draw, you know, a very good you know, artists and one or two folks who, who used movement and, and gave them freedom just to um, uh, express as the worship continued through the Psalms, just to put it into poetry or put it into a picture or whatever. So yeah. it's just totally. Um, uh, but the thing that locked it all together was that I would open a Psalm um, and I'd sing a line 
and I get people to sing it back to me and we might sing it again or I might say, oh, sing that with harmonies. Yeah. And then you move on to the next line and work your way through uh, half a psalm or a couple of psalms until the time ran out, really. Right. Um, and I stop every now and again, ask people, okay, so while we were worshipping through this psalm, was it something which which really impacted you, you know, from yeah. the psalm, or do you feel God speak to you in any way that might be helpful to the rest of us? And so people would share that, and it was it was great. I started off with a, I don't know, small number, about thirty people or something, and by the end of the week, it was just crammed out because uh, <laughs> <laughs> something new and fresh. It was and, just, yeah. yeah, it was really refreshing yeah. and different, and I was amazed at the quality of uh, of some of the what the artists were drawing or painting sure. and the poets were writing. So that's, that's where Psalm Surf, I think we called it something, took me a while to coin that phrase. Mm -hmm. uh, we had another name for it at the time, but um, that's how it started. And then I began to, to use that um, uh, whenever I had the opportunity. And, and what I was regularly doing at that time and have done uh, up, up to lockdown yeah, yeah. <laughs> is, is you know worship training right. conferences and things like that and so uh, ever since then whenever i have an opportunity if someone says oh would you do a workshop I say yeah i know just the thing yeah um just to turn people on because i know that um probably most people even if they're musicians uh, who come to a training conference won't go away and do exactly what i do because mm. in a sense i'm doing it because i've spent a lifetime putting words to music sure but if I can turn people on, to use an old 60s phrase, yep, to, yep. The, to the Psalms, yeah. that they, and say, look, you know, you can just you, use this. We should all be using the Psalms in our, in our personal devotions, you know, yeah. teach people how to pray the Psalms and why not sing the Psalms, you know, just by yourself. You don't have to be a singer. Um, you don't have to have an instrument, but just wrap your heart around it, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's become a kind of mission to get people using the Psalms. So what is it about the Psalms that you think bears? I mean, obviously it's scripture, that's part of it. But what is it about the Psalms that makes it so relevant to us today? I think the Psalms are actually, they are gifted by God specifically to the church as a language of prayer. Okay. Um, one of the early church fathers um, called described the Psalms as a school for people learning to pray. Interesting. So, sure, there's lots of good books on prayer. Yeah. But I would contend that if you the first book, if you got a, a how to pray book, yeah. <laughs> you start praying the Psalms. Mm. It will teach you how to pray. It will teach you how to speak to God. And it's actually quite surprising because in our um, the way prayers are prayed in churches actually is not very psalm-like in many mm, ways. It's right. very polite. Yeah. And uh, whereas the psalms are very visceral, mm -hmm. they're almost disturbingly so sometimes. Uh, and, and people are crying out, where are you, God? You know, um, are you going to save me or not? You know, and uh, why do the... Why do the wicked get away with their wickedness? Look at them, they're all prospering and they're persecuting us. You know, you're going to do anything about it, God. You know, it's, it's full of visceral heart cries to God. A lot of it is David, mm -hmm. you know, and David was, uh, you know, he's the archetypal psalmist. He was always being chased by enemies. He was always hiding in the cage of his life um, <laughs> or in the temple, you know, in ecstasies of prophecy, you know. <laughs> yeah. And so. It trains you in how to pray. Uh, and I think we've lost that. I think it's tragic. Um, and we were a bit scared of the Psalms because some of them were quite angry, for yeah. example. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So what about that? Well, um, I think the, I mean, actually the, the, the New Testament says, be angry, but do not sin. And I think that sums up the angry Psalms because we all experience anger we got to do something with it. The best thing we can do it is bring it to God. That's right. And pour it out before Him. Uh, be honest about how you feel, but then you lay it down. You relinquish your 
anger or your your desire for revenge, you remember that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You know, I mean, it must be incredibly therapeutic. I mean, I'm you know I'm not a psychologist or anything like it, but I I imagine you know it must be one of the best things. One of the worst things we can do is repress these feelings. Yeah, you know, we bottle them up or we think you can't say that in church or you can't, you know, I'm not a very good Christian because I feel like this. Mm. Well, look at the Psalms. You you will find yourself at your worst <laughs> and at your best in the Psalms, you know, and that's what they're there for. Yeah, I've heard a number of people talk about, you know, our, our worship songs today don't tend to have much lament in them. And so uh, we need to, and, the, and there's a lot of lament in the Psalms. And the thing that I love about the Psalms is even though he's talking about the terrible stuff that I'm going through, almost every single Psalm has a, but I heard God and I'm giving it to you, God, because I know you have my best interest at heart. Every single one of them has a point where the psalmist says, but God, but I give it to you, God, because I recognize you're in control. And I think that's the key piece that we're missing. Yeah. I read somewhere recently somebody who studies the Psalms um, who pointed out that there aren't any Psalms where the Psalm describes the problem being solved. Mm. What changes is the Psalmist's perspective or the Psalmist's heart. Yeah. You know, the, there seems to be this mysterious point where it shifts, you know, a kind of pivot point in the Psalm, a kind of but. God, you know, and sometimes you can't even tell quite where that's come, but you know it's happened because by the end of the psalm, there's trust or there's faith or God, I'm waiting for you, you know. Yeah. And and I think that that is um, that's the moment of encounter that we meet God in the psalms. Yeah. Um, and in in a real way, we meet Jesus in the psalms because. Jesus is God incarnate, God made flesh. Yeah. So Jesus entered into all these feelings and emotions that the psalmists expressed and that we feel. And the Psalms were his prayer book, his songbook, you know? Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Um, yeah. So we, 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 there's a very real sense in which we, we meet Jesus in the Psalms, the incarnate Son of God who knows how we feel and he's been here, you know. And then all the untidy loose ends get caught up in the fact he's with me, you know. Yeah. God's with me and he's been with me in my humanity and my frail frailty. And, and now he's risen and reigning. And, you know, it kind of. That's magnificent. Yeah. 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 So the Psalms are really, I think, really significant. Um, And I, you know, I think one of the things that has happened with, there's always a flip side to something, isn't there? And I think these years now, several decades of amazing creativity and songwriting and, and, uh, and standards of, of performance and, and of, uh, I mean, it's just, it's just sky high, you know? Um, if there's a flip side to that, one of it, one of the flip sides is is that uh, perhaps we let people do it for us. We let the professionals kind of oh. deliver the experience for us, and we we are carried along. Yeah, but perhaps we become what I call event dependent. You know, we we yeah. we have to be go to church with the brilliant band and, and the music um, and we're carried along in this atmosphere and, and it's real and it's good, but have mm-hmm. we learned as individual Christians to sustain our own spiritual lives in the humdrum, ordinary um, parts of our lives and in, in our secret lives, you know, in, our, in, our, in the hidden parts of our lives. And that's where the Psalms really, really, can help us there's a public role for them but i i wonder whether the greatest strength of the psalms is when we use them in our private devotions um and then we go to church already um you know we've we've sure. we've met with god already yeah you know? we we live in his presence uh, and we we bring that with us 
when we gather with others. We don't have to let them give us the experience. Right. You know, the professionals. We're now being a participant. Yeah. Not just being yeah. entertained. It's we're being transformed, not just informed. That's right. Yeah. And I I I sometimes say, don't come to church to worship. Come worshiping. There's a massive difference. And the Psalms help us to to come worshiping. Um, if if we use them habitually. Yes. And of course the language of the Psalms becomes second nature to us. I think that's a powerful thing as well uh, in the spontaneous um, when you suddenly need to pray. You've got a whole vocabulary of prayers just on your on your tongue, you know, because, because you've been you've practicing been using them. Yeah, you're practicing it. <laughs> One of the things I do every Saturday, I send out a prayer newsletter and I send a, a bunch of people who've committed to praying for musicians. What are the things that we can be praying for you in the month of January and beyond? Well, thank you. That That's so, so encouraging. I think, you know, in, a, in every season we need to find the particular, sometimes you call it the anointing or, you know, the the thing that God is doing, you know, and... Um, and I think that's an ongoing thing. Uh, and I'm trying to live in that, you know, sure. what's the season where I can most engage with what, what God is doing, you know. So I love prayer that I'm able to, to do that and just keep bearing, bearing fruit. I mean, actually, one of, the, <laughs> one of the promises in Psalm 1 is, you know, if, if we meditate on, on, uh, on the Lord, you know, yep. we'll... It will bear fruit in old age. You know, <laughs> our leaf will never wither. That's right. And I am in I am in old age now, <laughs> and I don't want my leaves to wither. Um, you know, I want to keep bearing fruit and being fruitful. So that's something to you know to pray for. And I try to pass on, you know, to the next generations, whatever I can. So that's again pray for those opportunities to to do that and do that wisely. And, uh, and well, but thank you everybody who's going to pray. <laughs> As a music historian, it is fun for me to relive the beginnings of a music revolution. And I'm grateful to Graham for taking the time to share his perspectives on the beginnings of a modern Christian music in Britain. But what I found equally interesting was Graham's look at the importance of the Psalms in our worship today. He said a couple of things that really resonated with me. First, he said, don't come to church to worship, come worshiping. Now, church is not meant to be a spectator sport like a football game, but rather we are to come already worshiping so that together we can encourage each other and bring praise to God. So how do we learn to worship? Graham suggests that we start by singing the psalms at home and in our private quiet times. The psalms help us to come worshiping if we have been using them habitually. We learn the language of the psalms to give words to our worship to God. Secondly, Graham mentioned that none of the psalms, these musical prayers to God, come with a change in the situation. David is still hiding in the cave with King Saul seeking to kill him. The psalmist's enemies are still prospering, even though they're doing evil in the sight of the Lord. So what changes? It's really the heart of the person praying. It is the attitude they have toward the situations that change. And in nearly every psalm, there is a but God statement. For example, Psalm 73, 26 says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength. Psalms 86.15 says, But you, Lord, you are a compassionate and gracious God. In the Apostle Paul's letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16 specifically, it says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. In light of that verse and my conversation with Graham Kendrick today, I am taking a new look at the Psalms as a guidebook to prayer and worship. And even though it might be uncomfortable, I'm going to try to start singing the Psalms, making up my own tunes, but using this as an opportunity to make worship an active part of my life. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this idea. 
What are you doing to make worship come alive and be part of your daily routine? Drop me an email or a social media shout out and let me know what worship or what the Psalms means to you personally. I look forward to hearing your stories. As always, thanks for joining me for this conversation today. I am grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories of God's amazing faithfulness. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you mind taking a few minutes and rating it on your favorite podcast app? Reviews and ratings really help spread the word so that other folks can hear about these great conversations. And if you have comments or questions for me, please feel free to drop me a message on any of the social media platforms. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon by searching for at CCMExchange. Or you can always drop me an email on the website christianmusicarchive.com I'm really looking forward to our time together next week when I have another great conversation with one of the musicians you'll find on the pages of the Christian Music Archive So until then, remember this God loves you In fact, He's crazy about you <laughs> <laughs>